0: I love how that video ends, you know, just with the view of the cross, you know, with the highlight of the cross being on the screen. I mean, you know, as we talk about Christmas and we go through all of our traditions and uh, celebrations and parties and all that stuff, I man, we want to stay close to the cross because we recognize that what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, leads us to the cross, leads us to uh, the resurrection of a Savior who died and, and rose again. And so we want to keep the main thing the main thing. I'm so thankful for our leaders here. So thankful for Sue. She does a tremendous job uh, with our kids. Great, uh, you know, coordination, getting these kids in here and getting them out of here. Absolutely. them a- and so many that serve, so many of you that serve so faithfully. I know that, um, you know, even for the, the Christmas Eve service, 2, 3, 30, and 5, we're looking for those who might be willing uh, to serve in, in children's ministry. It's a blessing to serve uh, these little ones. And as Brandon said, you know, we want to capture their hearts early. We want to give them truth early. We want them to hear the gospel message early as they are growing and, 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 and developing their own. Uh, worldview and viewpoint of uh, their lives. And so very thankful for our uh, leaders here. I want to thank you for your generosity. You know, we talked about Angel Tree, and then this last uh, Sunday, we gathered all the items. On Monday, they came and picked them up. There were even some, can you believe this? There were even some on our staff who are riding bicycles around the hallways of this church. Can you believe that? I just think it's so blasphemous. But anyway, so um, we'll check the cameras and see who that was. But the guy who who, who picked up the, the stuff on Monday was just overwhelmed. And he said, please tell your people thank you. Please tell your people thank you for the blessings uh, that you are, that you're allowing yourselves to be to so many families and to so uh, many kids. And so let me say thank you guys on behalf of so many that will receive a blessing this Christmas, uh, of your generosity. So let me check. We got one Sunday left before Christmas. So let me ask, always kind of check as we get close. How many of you, you're done, you're finished, you can just enjoy the next week and just chill. Raise your hand. How many of you? God bless you. Y'all have a close walk with Jesus. God bless you guys. (laughs) How many of you, you've got 10 days, no worries, plenty of time. You got all that you need to get it done. Raise your hand. How many of you, you are freaking out and you've got one week left to get all this done? Amazon overnight delivery. All right. Very good. You're honest in God's house. That's a beautiful thing. And so you're here. That's awesome. You're here. You're not out trying to do that. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those in the overflow room. I just went to the overflow room. We've got a whole room that is packed uh, in there as well. We determined when I went in there that there's going to be a Sunday that I preach in the room and I get put on the screens for you guys. And so we're going to figure, we're going to figure that out. That just got determined in the room. Wesley, Dave, you guys make that happen. So one Sunday, uh, I'm going to preach in there and we'll, we'll, we'll put on the screens in here. But anyway, I want to thank you whether you're watching online or in here or in our room. And God has brought us together in a beautiful time of the year. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. You know, I shared my conviction two weeks ago as I was approaching uh, the Christmas season, you know, and I shared a little bit about even kind of my uh, misunderstandings, kind of even going into ministry, you know, going into ministry as a young guy, raised in the church, heard the Christmas stories, heard the Easter stories, just assumed you know, again, that when it came to this time of year, no-brainer, right? We know the story. We know where the texts are. We know the, the, the subject of what we're talking on. Uh, but I learned, as I shared two weeks ago, that this can be a very difficult season. You know, not only because of, of, of those who have lost loved ones. I know for many of you, this is a hard time. Maybe this is the first season. Maybe this is the first Christmas, and you've lost someone. You know, this can be a difficult season. Even from the approach that I have of communicating the story, it can be difficult because we've heard it. And if we're not careful, you know, it kind of just rolls over us. And so as I shared two weeks ago, the conviction of my heart is to come at this story with a fresh look, to literally read Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2, almost as if we've never heard the story before. You know, to to look at it from an outlook of, of, of seeing it for the first time. And to see truly how extraordinary this is, that without any question at all, this is a story, a historical account about the greatest event that this world has ever seen. And it was a promised event, as we talked about over these last two weeks. Over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, specifics, details that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them as we shared last week, to see the extraordinary of what's happening, but to not miss the ordinary, to not miss the ordinary town of Nazareth, to not miss the ordinary characters that God uses to carry out the greatest plan in the history of the world, ordinary and the extraordinary, and how it relates to us so much in our lives, right? We're just living our lives, we're just doing our thing, and then all of a sudden God stops us in our tracks, And we come to this crisis of faith, as we talked about last week, as we see with each one of these characters, a divine messenger sent to a divine city, Nazareth, to a divine appointment, Mary. And in that moment, these characters had to make a decision. Do I trust the Lord and walk into a place that is uncomfortable, out of my comfort zone, or do I go my own way? It's a beautiful story that should captivate us. Because of what God's done, I want to invite you to stand with me in reverence for reading God's word. So this is the approach we're taking. I told you last, uh, two weeks ago, and even last week, we're just gonna. I've just kind of just been walking through Luke, and my prep time and my study, just just walking through Luke, and I have a feeling it's gonna continue. I have a feeling, I announced two weeks ago that we were going to go to the book of Romans after the new year. Well, as my staff has learned, just stick around for a little while. That will change within the next couple of minutes. So I have a feeling we might stay in Luke a little while. Can I get an amen? If we're, if we're to be captivated and changed by Jesus, we should probably look at Jesus. Amen? And so what we're going to do even in the new year, we're going to just go to Luke. Now, I don't know how far into Luke. I don't know what direction. I don't know what chronological order. I don't know. We're just going to go into Luke. Are you all cool with that? Whether you are or not, we're going into Luke after New Year. I really don't care. Luke chapter 1. I'm just kidding. I do care, kind of. Luke chapter 1. So as I've walked through this, like the Lord has just stopped me in my tracks at the birth announcement to Mary. And so we're kind of just taking our time through these 12 verses of Scripture. But this morning, I want you to see the middle section of this passage. And I gave you homework last week because in, in really like a verse and a half, Gabriel summarizes the work of Jesus. Birth, righteous life, dying for sinners, rule upon the throne forever. Like, he he summarizes the entire work. So, notice what happens here in the announcement to Mary. Beginning in verse 26, Luke chapter 1. Now, in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. So, we know that the promise that Gabriel had given to uh, Zacharias earlier in the chapter has now been fulfilled. Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was also Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, our hail, our hello, highly favored one, highly graced one. Are you our grace? The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I just lost my place. (laughs) Thirty. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Now, here it is. 31, 32, and 33. Pay attention. Listen listen to what he says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth what? A son and shall call his name. Say it with me. Overflow room. Let me hear you. Say it with me. Y'all ain't the overflow room. I was trying to hear them. (laughs) Verse 32. Listen to these titles. He will be great. Just that one word. Think about that. Think about the understatement of that one word. He will be great. How many times do we use the word great? We'll get to that in just a moment. Anyway, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And God's people says, amen. amen. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? If I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who, who was call, for her who was called bar- barren. Verse 37, Luke one thirty-seven, one thirty-seven. For with God, nothing, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Here it is, here it is. Let it be, three words, three of the most powerful words that we can utter before the face of God. Let it be, let it be according to your will. And the angel departed from her. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, truly, we are overwhelmed, Lord, as we're reading this passage, Lord, as we're reading these, as we're reading the story, a, a historical account of Jesus, Lord, we're captivated by this. Again, that you would choose to pursue us in spite of us, that in our sins, in our trespasses, in death, you pursue us. Lord, as we come to Christmas, may we not venture too far away from the cross. As we look upon a manger in Bethlehem, may we not move too far away from a cross to see the one who came, yes, who was born, but who lived, who taught, who healed, who walked upon this earth, and who died and rose again. May the name of Jesus be lifted high in this Christmas season, in all seasons, but especially In a time when the world wants to make it about anything and everything other than, may you center our attention upon Christ. Lead us and guide us, we pray it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we talked about last week, you know, you see this with Luke's writing. You know, he wants us to see this through the eyes of God. What you basically have in Luke 2, obviously, is the narrative, the birth account of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Luke does is he allows us to kind of see a heavenly view. He wants us to see it kind of from the view of God. That's why when you come to chapter 2, you find those first couple of words where it says, and it came to pass. What is he saying? He's saying in God's sovereignty, in God's providence, in his perfect timing. When God, before the foundations of the world, said it would happen, he ushered in a Savior, and it came to pass. And so what we find here again is the greatest story in the history of the world, a story that was promised, a story that was prophesied, a story that goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. This story, this Christmas story, goes back to the fall of man, back to Genesis 3.15, when Eve and Adam bit of the apple. We know that sin entered into humanity, and in that moment, God intervened. And in Genesis 3.15, what do you find? You find the first Christmas prophecy where the Lord utters those words that I will put enmity between you and man, between their seed and her seed. And we know that it was a great reference to the virgin birth. There in the Garden of Eden, God promised that there would come a Savior. We come to Luke chapter 1, and he gives us the account of how this takes place. Look at verse 26, and let's just walk through as we get to our verses this morning. A divine messenger. I'm intrigued by the fact that the Scripture says that in the very presence of God, he was sent by God. A divine appointment, verse 27, with a young virgin girl, many believe probably about 13 years old. Just living her life, just doing her thing, right? Betrothed to be married, uh, going through this one year of an engagement so that she can just get married and have babies and just do life. And then all of a sudden, what happens? God stops her in her tracks. An angel appears to her. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? Not with the angel, but have you ever been there? Just living your life, right? You're just doing your thing, your head's down, and you're getting stuff done. And then all of a sudden, God stops you in your tracks. He lifts your eyes up a little bit and all of a sudden you're at a moment of a crisis of faith do i just keep my head down and just keep doing what i'm doing just keep going and just keep going but the lord's telling me to stop the lord's telling me to chill has the lord ever told you to chill he's told me to chill at least that's the interpretation i hear when says he just chill like he's telling you to just be still that's what i read when i read be still as i read chill anyway he's telling us to be still in that moment can we trust in that moment, can we submit? In that moment, can we utter the words of Mary? Let it be. I mean, you see this picture, right? You see this picture of a young teenage girl stopped in her tracks. The Bible says she is confused. She is perplexed. She's wondering what this meaning is about. I'm sure immediately she's thinking to herself, angels. An angel means judgment. And so here's this angel standing before her, and she is afraid because of what he is saying. And although she does not understand, she utters the words, let it be according to your will. Let it be according to your will. Did you have to do that this past week where you looked at your life and you looked at something? You said, I don't like it. It wasn't in my plans. It wasn't in my big vision, my big scheme of things. But God, you've obviously brought this to me. So let it be. Do you fight it? Run from it? Get mad at the Lord, bitter at the Lord, angry at the Lord. And I'm going to go fix this myself. You have a young girl that says, let it be. You move a little bit further into this passage. Look at what happens here in verse 28. He says, rejoice, highly favored one. hell, grace one. hell, favored one. You will be graced. What is he saying to Mary? You will experience a grace unlike anyone in the history of the world. Think about this. Mary experienced a grace unlike anyone in the history of the world. Why? Because she carried God in her womb. Think about this. A perfect, sinless, holy God in the womb of a, sinless, in a in a sinner's womb. Think about this. God being formed in a sinner. God being formed in the womb of a young teenage. Girl, He says, grace be upon you. I love verse 28. It reminds us of the message that uh, Gabriel gave to Gideon. Rejoice highly favored. When the Lord is with you, you are a warrior. Blessed are you among women. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, was wondering what manner of greeting this one. Verse 30, the angel says to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. He says, I've not come for judgment. I've come to deliver a message of grace, grace that is found in a person. Verse 31, 32, and 33 is a profound passage of scripture, but on the surface, when you read it, it just seems like just a simple statement. Let's read it and let's look at what he says. Verse 31, behold, You will conceive in your womb a sinful womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. Say it with me. Shall call his name? Jesus. Jesus. We will be great. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. Each title means something. And his throne, he will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33. He will reign forever over the house of Jacob. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what you find here is what? You find the summary, the summation of the entire work of Christ in the titles that Luke delivers. This is so cool. When he even says the name Jesus, what is he speaking of? He is speaking of salvation, the work of salvation. In the Hebrew tense, God saves, a God who saves. And so even the name Jesus is speaking of the work of salvation of the Savior. When he speaks of it, he will be great. He speaks of his holiness, his righteousness. That yes, fully man, but in everything that he does, he will manifold the glory of God. When he speaks the glory of God, when he acts the glory of God, he will be great. And he says this, he is the son of the most high. What is he speaking of? He has just spoken of the greatness of his humanity. But now he speaks of that he is divine, fully God, son of the most high. And he says in verse 32 and 33, as he speaks of his resurrection, his ascension, his return, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever. Look at verse 31. Let's just walk through this. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. We know that in Mary's song, as you go a little bit further in verse 46, she is praising God for salvation. Look at what she says in verse 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord. I love this. And my spirit has rejoiced in what? God, my Savior. For you will bring forth a son, what does he say, you shall call his name Jesus. And that's what she did. Look at Luke 2. Go over to Luke 2, verse 21. She followed through on the promise. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called what? Jesus. She was obedient. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Yeshua, Hebrew, Jehovah saves. What is Christmas? Christmas is a celebration of a God who saves. Christmas is a celebration of the greatest love story this world has ever heard. A God who did not need us, but pursued us. A God who made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Sinful men and women separated from the throne of God. Not only separated from God, but as the Bible describes, an enemy. I stand opposed upon a holy God because I stand in my sins. My greatest problem being my sins, but that God did something about it. Romans 5, 8, what? But God demonstrated his love toward us, not just by declaring it, but by, by providing it. He demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, what does it say? Christ came and died for us. It's a love story. You know, there's all these love stories. You know, that, you know the, Romeo and Juliet has nothing on this right here. Rose and Jack, you know Jack Dawson from Titanic, y'all remember that story? I mean, she didn't even give him the door. They have nothing on this. <laughs> Plenty of room for him to lay on that door. It's messed up. the story of Christmas is what? It's a story of salvation. It's a story of it's the celebration that we serve a God who saves. That's what it is. As we look at the manger, we should see the cross. As we look at the manger, we should see the cross. As we see a baby laying in a manger in Bethlehem, we should see a man who performed no sin at all, lived a holy and righteous life, but we should see the image of his arms stretched out wide. The purpose of God that he would come and be a substitute for our sins. Old Testament spoke of it, New Testament delivered it. We see it. Luke nineteen ten, the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save those who are lost. Matthew one twenty one, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Luke two eleven, today in the city of David there has been born for you what? A Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke two thirty, when Simeon is praising God, he lifts the child to the sky, and what does he say? My eyes have seen what. Your salvation, that just in the name Jesus, what do we find? We find the purpose of Christmas, that we serve a God who saves. That's what the entire Bible is about. If you read the New Testament, the four Gospels, as you read through Acts and the epistles of Paul and Peter, James and John, Jude, Hebrews and Revelation, the theme is the same. We serve a God who saves and salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to preach no more sermons, right? Let's just say amen and go home. That's this. I mean, this is Jesus, this whole thing. And so as we come into this time of year, again, I'm with you. I fall into this trap where I get pulled here and I get pulled there. And I miss the captivation of it all, that he entered into his own creation as a helpless baby being formed in the womb of a sinner. And he lived a perfect life. Think about that. He never did anything that caused anyone else to sin. Have you ever thought about that? Has your children ever caused you to sin? Let me hear you say amen. amen. And if you just didn't, you lied in this place. <laughs> my child was just up here on the stage and I just sinned down here trying to get him to be straight and stop acting up. We, we sin because of our kids. I didn't sin, my wife did, but we have sin taking place. <laughs> there was sin taking place down here. Think about that. As a child, Mary, Joseph, he never did anything as a child to institute sin. Think about that. Perfect <laughs> child. Living the life that God demands to meet his mark. And none of us can. But he did. But it was all leading to what? It was all leading to the cross. Look at verse 32. It says this, and he will be what? He will be great. About the understatement of that what, what what did you use my voice just got really high right now what did you use this past week to describe as great i described my shrimp friday night that's great i'm gonna tell you that so friday night we go to burlington north carolina anybody ever heard of burlington north carolina so in 58 don't don't speed to emporia we go go through get to south hill we cut over at 85 the whole family meets at burlington so we got 40 people there i got my dad's side i got my my mom's side we go to a fish camp anybody here know what a fish camp is that sounds gross but it's not it's like family-style eating. You go and they just bring like, just, f- it's all fried, too. Everything, even the stuff that's not supposed to be fried. It's fried, and they just throw it in front of you. And so we're walking out, there Dad was like, how was your dinner? I was like, Dad, that shrimp was amazing. I said, that, that shrimp was great. And I got in the car, and I heard the Lord say, you just studied this passage. <laughs> that's how my brain works. You just put shrimp in the same category of Jesus, is what the Holy Spirit said to me. <laughs> so anytime you say great, how really great is it? Because let's look at what this is saying. I mean, this is the understatement of the Bible right here. He will be What? What is Luke saying? The divine outlook of this, that everything that Jesus does as a baby, as a child, as a teenager, as a young man, as an adult, everything that he does will be great. What does it mean? Everything that he does will manifest the glory of God. Every time he opens his mouth, he's manifesting the glory of God. Every time he puts his hands upon a person's shoulders, he is manifesting the glory of God. Luke is saying, just watch Jesus and you see God. In the words that he speaks and the actions that he displays. Why? Because he is God. But understand this. When you read this passage, my mind goes, hold on. The Bible just described John is great. Right? John the Baptist. Go back to verse 15 and look at what it says here. Luke 1.15 says this. In the prophecy of the the birth to Elizabeth and Zacharias, the angel says, for he, who he, John, the forerunner, for he will be great. But notice the last part, what does it say? In the sight of God. Don't miss that phrase. There's a difference there between great, the title that is given to Jesus, and great, the title that is given to John the Baptist. It says he will be great in the sight of God. What does that mean? It basically means imputed greatness. That his greatness is not his own. That God has laid greatness upon him. But then when you come to Jesus, you don't find it d- 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 described that way. It's not granted to him. Luke makes sure that we understand that it's possessed by him. It's not given to him. It is him. You understand what I'm saying? John 1.14 says this, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Do You remember that passage? The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I remember having this long discussion in a seminary class about uh, what, what is the glory of God. We talked so much about the glory of God. And I remember a professor saying, it's the manifestation of his attributes. When you look at the character of God being manifested through the life of Jesus, what do you find? You find the glory. Of God, Gabriel says he will be great. What does it mean? He will manifest glory. He will manifest the very glory of Almighty God through his life, through his sinlessness, through his righteousness. The glory of God will be on display. And you see that, right? When you go through the four gospels, you see what? God's thoughts, God's words, God's actions, God's responses, God's goodness, his wisdom, his patience, his kindness, his long suffering. You see it all where? Through the person of Jesus. He will be great. Look at the next part. He will be called the son of the highest. This is very familiar, obviously, to a Jewish audience. In the Hebrew language, El Elyon, God the most high. There is none higher. But understand what Luke is doing here. To identify Jesus as the son of the most highest to do this is to indicate that he is of the same essence of the most high God. That he is of one essence of the most high God. That's what Luke is saying. He's not part God. He's not 80% God. This child... Is God? Listen to this passage, Hebrews 1, 3. I love this. This is the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. Look at that. It's the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I mean, Jesus even said that, right? Listen, if you want to see God, look at me. If you want to hear God, listen to me. If you want to see the actions of God, just watch me. To be captivated and changed by Jesus, by the one who entered into his own creation to die for the sins of the world. That's why, I listen, I don't care what title you give. I don't care what denomination. I don't care what religion. The question that has to be asked is Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he is truly the only way? Do you believe that he is God's way? Do you believe John fourteen six that he's the way, the truth, and the life? And then no man, no man, no man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's the question. For all of us. And listen, there's some things in this life that we can get wrong. can't get that one wrong. Every one of us will stand before a holy God and give an account. Every one of us. And it comes down to Jesus. Every one of us, it comes down to Jesus. What do I believe about Jesus? How has that changed my life in Jesus? How do I live for Jesus? How do I talk about Jesus? How am I changed by Jesus? And so you see Gabriel kind of walking through this list. Okay, son of God, check. Born of a man, check. Lived a righteous life, check. Dying a sacrificial death, check. Rose from the grave, check. Saved from my sins, check. End of the story. See, this is what happens sometimes. I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, but I always say this to them. Why do I always see Jesus still upon the cross? That's always my question to them. You know, as a kid growing up, you see the crucifix, and you see Jesus. Listen, Jesus is no longer upon the cross. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we do a pretty good job in in our circle of taking Jesus off the cross. But where we struggle is now putting him on his throne. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes, you know, we, we we don't wrestle with the fact that Jesus isn't on the cross. He died for our sins. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. But for us, for many Christians, I know for me, sometimes that can just kind of be okay. That's the end of the story. I'm saved. But we know the Bible goes way beyond that. There's the eternal, right? That he will rule, that he will reign. Look at the last part of verse 32. Don't miss the end of the story. Don't miss the end of the game. Look at what happens here at the end of verse 33. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This plan of redemption, this plan of salvation, Luke says, now culminates in the glorious reign of Jesus Christ on the throne of his father, David, in which he says his kingdom, his kingdom his kingdom there will be no end that he will reign forever as the psalmist says in psalm 2 his father will give him the nations as his inheritance and he will reign with a rod of iron hey we know the end of the story can i get an amen amen have you ever done that right? You're watching a game, you fall asleep, you think you know what happened, and you woke up the next morning, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, it went into eight overtimes, you know what I'm saying? And your DVR didn't record it because that thing just makes you sin, and so you're, you're messed up. You know, we read Revelation. And I know we got a men's group that's going through it. And we can all fall into different categories, right? I mean, we, we can all fall into, into pre or to mid or to post or just confused. Can I get an amen, right? We, we all fall into these different categories. We know the end of the story. Maybe we don't all agree of how it's all going to play out. But we know that Jesus is victorious and he's sitting upon his throne. I remember in my ordination council, I had about 12 guys sitting in front of me. And the ordination is where you've got these, these pastors who are asking you questions, you know, to, to affirm your calling. I had 40 guys in the room, 40 guys, 40, 50 other guys, deacons in the room. Love my deacons. There were deacons from Bethel Baptist Church, but there were also deacons from Kempstow Baptist Church because I had just kind of transitioned over to, to Bethel. And one of the guys on my ordination asked me about end times. And he asked me kind of this question about, he's, where, where do you fall in this stuff? And I said, well, let me tell you what, I, I believe that Jesus is coming again, and I believe that Jesus will be sitting upon his throne forever. And I slammed my hand on the, on the desk, and they all started going, amen, amen, amen. And I was like, next question, please. And we just, they just, we just transitioned right from it. My dad thought it was the most clever thing he had ever seen, because I kind of preached a little bit, got them excited, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is coming again, but I'm still pretty confused about how it's all going to play out. All right, look at what it says. He will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom, there will be no end. Ordinary and the extraordinary. Notice verse 34. I love this. He's just given this explanation of the summary of Jesus. Birth, death, resurrection, eternal glory. All Mary is thinking is what? Look at verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? So basically the last four verses, all Mary is hearing wah, 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 wah. That's all she's hearing. I'm pregnant? What? Are you? Th- and and so, so he delivers this great explanation of Jesus, and she goes, how am I going to be pregnant? Is basically what she said. I love this. Because you just see the ordinary in this, man. You see a young girl just living her life, and God stops her and says, I have a plan for you. But it ain't going to be easy. Listen, we celebrate Mary, and we should because of her faithfulness, but think about what this young girl went through. Think about what she lived with for the rest of her life until she died. That There were people who would say, that's the girl they claimed. That's the girl that got pregnant. That's the girl that's got the A on her shirt as an adulteress. God stops her in her tracks and says, I want to do something that is just going to blow your mind. You can't even wrap your mind around this. But are you willing to lay your life down for me? Are you willing to hand it to me? Are you willing to submit to the purpose and the calling that I have upon your life? That's a a hard place right there. And I don't believe it's just a one-time deal. I think that's an everyday thing for our lives. To come to a place where Mary says, let it be. Look at what happens here in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Obviously, this has never happened, but it had been prophesied. We know 700, 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah 714, you know the verse, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We know that the words of Gabriel here in verse 31, it's a direct quote from the Greek in the Greek translation of Isaiah 7.14. He is quoting the prophecy to Mary. Romans 5.17 says this: for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, who will reign in your life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'm asking you if you would just bow your heads right where you are. At the end of that verse of 35. Gabriel says, this holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. You know, it is overwhelming. I mean, let's be real. I mean, when we think about the story and we think about Christmas, it, it, it's overwhelming that God would do this. And I want you just to, again, imagine this. If you've been the only person in this world, God would send sent his son for you. Pursued you. Chased after you. And in that crossroads, there's... It's a hard place to be. Will we surrender to the Lord. Or turn our own way. You know, I I read this passage in Luke, and my mind often goes back to even the Psalms of David. In Psalm chapter 8... You find him praising the Lord, but just reflecting upon the bigness of God. And he says these words He says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? Who am I that you would want to live in my life? Who am I that you would want to be in the details and the cracks and corners of my life? Who am I? That's what your word says. And that through Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of my sins, be made new, and have a relationship with the Holy God of this universe. It's Christmas. To believers in this place, God brought you here. What crisis of faith is staring you right in the face? I quote these words. Who am I? that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to fill my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way? Can't we identify from my ever-wandering heart? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and still watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Are you in a storm this morning? It's not because of who I am but because of what you've done it's not because of what I've done but because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading here today gone tomorrow wave tossed in the ocean a vapor in the wind still you hear me still you hear me still you hear me when I'm called. catch me when I'm falling and you've told me you've told me you've told me I am yours who shall I fear Who shall I fear? Because I am Yours. Greater is He who lives within me than He who lives within the world. I'm asking you to stand right where you are, if you would. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with humility, Lord. We come before you this morning, humbled, that you would choose to love us, to seek us, to pursue us, to walk with us, to live within us, and so, Lord first and foremost, if there's someone here who has never called upon the one name by which we are saved, the name of Jesus. the Lord, I pray that even right now in this moment, they would cry out to a Savior, that they would turn from their sins, declare forgiveness of their sins and cry to Jesus for salvation. And that they would share that with others as they begin this journey to believers in this place. Lord, keep our eyes on you. From our ever-wandering heart fixed upon the one who came, who came who won the victory we lift out the name of Jesus it's in that name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen